0: that was a blessing uh, to see those kids and how they respond. And, and even for the adults, I can really say for the adults, um, to see God's love um, on display like that is something is something special. So uh, that was uh, very special. You can, I was supposed to say something. Tracy, what was I supposed to say? Uh-oh. She'll tell me. All right. All right, I was supposed to say something um, about that. No. Oh, Lord, forgive me. Okay. All right. Don't tell Tracy. What was I supposed to say, Tracy? That the kids are all learning about Genesis. Oh, there you go. Okay. All right. Thank you, Tracy. Tracy was telling me during VBS, she said, Mel, it's such a blessing uh, that Pastor Michael started Genesis because that's what the kids are doing in their classes. They're doing Genesis. So moms and dads and, their, and grandma and grandpas can all talk Genesis over the next um, couple of uh, weeks, months, years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Lord, thank you for today. We thank you for how you've blessed us. We thank you for um, how you have put us in our right mind this morning to want to come and hear your word and hear what you have to say to us. We bless you and we love you, Lord. Lord, may your word go forward and may it not return to you void. May it accomplish everything that you would have it to do today. We bless you, Lord. Clear our hearts and minds now. In your name, we pray these things. Amen. 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 God bless you. Thank you for um, um, letting me uh, come back and finish um, from last week. Um, I promise it wasn't all me, Pastor, about uh, uh let go in an hour. Was it an hour? <clears throat> last session. Okay, so I'm not going to do an hour this time, but I'm going to I'm going to go through it quickly. I have a, a slideshow. Um, I hope that we can get going. Um, so I've got to show you some pictures. It's just not the same without showing you the pictures. Um, so let me review very quickly, um, just two minutes. Uh, last week we talked about in this Genesis account, there's a structure to it. Day one, day two, day three, God creates. He creates and he separates. Day one, he created light and he separated it from the darkness and then he didn't do anything. He was done with day one. That's interesting. He could have did a lot more but he didn't. He would wait three days until day four and then he would do something with that light. And then day two he created also. He created the expanse, the sky, the heavens. He created that and he separated it from the water. The water down here, and there's some water up there, but he created that and he separated it from the water and then he was done on day two. It wasn't until three days later, on day five, that he decides to fill the air with the birds of the sky and fill the waters with the fish that would swarm in the waters. Interesting. And then day three, he creates the dry land. He creates a dry land, and he separates it from the waters. And he would wait. That was it for day three. He would wait three days. And then on day six, he filled that land with the animals. So the earth was formless and void. So on day one, he, he, he does stuff with form, and then he waits three days. And then on, the, on that third day, he, he fills it. He, cre- he fills that void that was there interesting structure that genesis gives us Um, and so we've got one two three day on day one two and day three he creates and he separates day four day five and day six he fills that which he um, created on those days one two and three so we went through day one day two part of day three last week i'd like to get started on day four day five and day six today Why did he do it this way? Why did he create in six days when he could have created instantly everything all at once? Why did he take his time? Well, last week we talked about he wanted, it's almost as if he wanted us to pause after day one and think and ponder. Think about that for a minute. See what I just did? I created light, and we talked about light last week. Light is fascinating. You gotta go back and get the CD. I can't go there. The light is fascinating. So, But he wanted us to think about it, think through it. And then he creates um, uh, this expanse in the sky, and he wants us to think about that. What, what did it mean? What did it mean about him? What did it say about him? It told us something about him. It's like he wanted us to think about it for a little bit. And so he did pause. There, was, there were these pauses for us to think about what that day meant, and what it means uh, for us. And so we get to day four now. Day four, oh, let me, let me say this too before I start. There are a lot of people in Christian circles who think that science, science is the villain. Science is the bad guy. Science is not the bad guy, I love science. Science is great, science is a great thing, it's a good thing God created the laws of nature, which we call science. Science isn't the bad guy, it's man who would stand up and say, Lord, I know enough now. I don't need you. You don't exist. You're not here. I don't need you to explain anything now. It's man that's the problem, not science. God creates the science. God has said, nature, these are the rules that you must follow. And, he t- and he just, we talked about Psalm 19 last week. The heavens declare the glory of God. And it talks about what they're declaring day and night and they're pouring forth speech and they're witnessing and testifying about him but it's talking about how God has ordered nature and how nature must follow those rules and laws. And then Psalm 19 also says, and the law of God, the ordinances of God, the commands of God are pure. And so we start talking about the laws that God has put on man as well to follow for order for order and for for moral order and structure in our lives and in our relationship with him. So he's created the scientific laws for nature to follow and obey, and they're good, they're neutral, they're just laws of nature. It's what man has done with them that messes things up with our mind. And the moral laws that he's laid down for you and for me and for us, it's what we've done with them that has messed up our relationship with each other and with him God has created order and structure for us and we have messed it up. Adam's fall and Adam's sin didn't just mess up mankind. It messed up nature too. Nature, we talked about last week, was groaning as well. So science is not the villain. Science is not the bad guy. It's a a great thing, a wonderful thing. Um, Something that we can be passionate about. God has given us this drive and the zeal to explore and to experiment and to go see. I don't want to just look at Pluto. I want to go, I want to see it up close and personal. I want to know why, I want to see what it's saying to me. Everything is going to say God is creator and there's something about that creator that everything can say to us. Well, let's look at day four. Day four. Day one, God said, let there be light. Then he ceased from doing anything with that light until day four. Day four starts with Genesis one, verse 14. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. So he created the sun, the moon, the stars and, and, that, and whatnot to let us know that the seasons are here. For example, if you go out tonight, beautiful constellation, Scorpio. Uh, um, Scorpio. Um, is up, and it's a, a beautiful um, um, a constellation. It's got a, a nice red star uh, in, the, in, in, the, in the middle. You can really see it's red compared to the white twinkling stars of the other ones. Um, uh, Antares, um, that star is gorgeous. When Scorpio's up, I know it's summertime that's how I know it's summer, Scorpio and the stars at night. Orion, Orion is on the opposite side of the globe. When Orion is up in the sky, I know it's wintertime. Orion the giant comes out during the winter. The constellations tell me the times, the seasons, what time it is. Um, And so God created them for us to be able to tell time um, with the seasons and whatnot. Well, um, it's not just there to tell us this time. That's great, but he also put it there to show us something about him. Let me tell you something. We've got to to decide how those suns and those stars and those moons got there. I want you to know that science has to say, this is how the solar system formed and this is how the planets formed and this is how the sun formed without God. That's what science is trying to do. We've got to come up with a naturalistic explanation if we're trying to explain away him. We don't want God. In our lives, if we don't want God to exist, the scientist has to say, I've got to explain this without God. So we look up at the sky at night and God put the moon there. He created the moon for a reason. Because today, astronomers don't know why it's there, or how it got there. There are several explanations for it, but nobody will say this is definitely definitively, without a shadow of a doubt, there are no questions how it got there. We don't. There's four, there are four basic explanations for how the moon got there the latest, greatest, and most accepted right now is called the, um, um, the collision, the impact theory. Some huge object like maybe the size of Mars slammed into the earth a long time ago. A lot of stuff jumped off the earth or whatever and then it kind of congealed and, and formed the moon. It's our best guess about the moon today. It's a terrible, oh, it's a guess, it's a guess, but the moon came, we used to think it was caught by the earth. Maybe the Earth caught it. We thought maybe at one point the Pacific Ocean. That's a big hole in the Earth's crust. We thought that it was a chunk that flew off. In the early days, why well, the Earth is spinning too fast and the chunk it was called the chunk theory. It's, that's, that's, how, that's how the moon got there. Well, ridiculous. Well, it's not part of the Earth. It was way too different. We went there, we explored, we experimented. It's just too different to say it was part of the Earth. Maybe it was something else. Maybe it was the merger of two. Keep coming up with these what ifs and what ifs. Right now, we don't know how it got there. We don't. We have some explanations, but we don't know how the moon got there. Well, that's why he put it there. God put it there for us to go. I mean, for him to say, deal with that, (laughs) explain that. (laughs) You know, you you, 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 you say, you know, you know enough. To not need me, explain that one <laughs> oh. and so we have to say we, i don 't know if we, if we look at the planets today I like the idea of going and exploring. I talk to my, my daughters and my son all the time about spending millions and billions of dollars to go to these planets and to go, uh, go throughout the solar system and we 've got all these economic issues and woes and problems here in the United States. Dad, how can we do that? Why is that blah, blah, blah? and we argue and talk about it, and we do that in class too. Well, I like the idea of going to the other planets, I understand what 's happening here too. But I think God gave us that so that we can go so that we can say, wow. So when we look at the other planets as we explore Venus, Venus looks like us, kinda. Can I get that slide going? Venus looks like us in size. There we go. back one. Okay, I'll stop, go ahead. (laughs) There we go. Thank you. I want Alright, so if you look at these, uh, this is Mercury, the planet Mercury. There's Mars, there's Venus, there's Earth. These are relative sizes. These sizes are accurate, right? In terms of uh, the re- relative sizes, you can see how small Mercury is, Mercury, and how small Mars is compared to Venus, compared to the Earth. Venus, interesting, has these clouds around it, 24-7. If you were standing on Venus, you, could, you would never see the sun, ever. The clouds cover all of Venus, all at the same time, always, 24-7. Those clouds aren't just water clouds, They're acid clouds, battery acid. Same stuff that's in your battery. The battery acid are these clouds. It rains battery acid on Venus. And it's about 900 degrees. Now your oven is about 500, right? It's 900 degrees on Venus all the time, everywhere. It is a terrible place to be. Um, It's about the same size as Earth, but it's just way different. Well, we had to go there. I, I worked for uh, JPL and NASA for a year as an undergraduate, and the senior scientist that I was uh, uh, working with, he was on this, what we call the Magellan spacecraft. At the time, it was called the Venus Radar Mapper. And then that launch, they changed the name to Magellan Spacecraft. It went to Venus and orbited around Venus and just took all these pictures. So we, we know what every hill and mole hill and valley and everything on Venus looks like, though we've never been there. We have to look through in, in infrared, a different color that we couldn't see. We have to, if you were here last week, we have to look through there and we, 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 we can see all of it without going there because it's hard to go there. Land at 900 degrees and descend through sulfuric acid clouds and all that stuff. It's terrible. Um, but Venus, God has us looking at Venus going, wow that place right there is pretty special. That Earth that he has created is a special place. How do we know that? Because we start looking at these other places. You know, Mercury, very hot, all, the second hottest planet in the solar system next to uh, Venus, uh, and then Mars, and, and then the Earth. The Earth is pretty special. As we go and visit these other planets, if you look at this second picture here, and when you get down to this, you can see this dot, barely see it, that's Earth. so from this picture up here, here's Earth. Now to compare it to the other planets in our solar system, that's Earth in size. So so we've got Neptune and Uranus and Saturn and Jupiter there. The little tiny Earth. And it's nothing like anywhere else. Well, Earth is something we can stand on, we walk on, we live on. Those other giant planets here, they're all gas. No surface, can't stand on them. There's nothing to stand on, whoops. There's nothing to stand on. Um, Not a solid surface, all gas, wow. Earth is starting to look more and more special as we investigate these and uh, investigate uh, the other planets. Um, As these planets orbit around the sun, if you're looking at the sun, oh, and we've got to describe, I'm sorry, scientists have to describe how all of these planets here got here without God and why they're all so different. We don't have that quite mapped out. We thought we did up until about 2006. Uh, even before then, but we've got to explain, without God, how the differences between them all. Well, the first four are rocky, solid rocks, we can stand on them and walk on them. The next four are giants and they're all gas, they don't have a surface, you can't stand on them. Big balls of gas, how did that form? The first four are solid, rocky, and tiny, you can see their sizes, and the next four are gas giants. Giant, how did the solar system form like that? Well, we can come up with an answer without God. We, can, we came up with an answer that we thought was good, but there was a ninth planet back there that was bothering us. Who was that? Pluto, Pluto poor Pluto. They've been trying to get rid of Pluto for a long time. <laughs> Why were they trying to get rid of Pluto? They're, this is just my theory. Pluto messes up our model of how this solar system happened without God. So, four Rocky, four giant gas and then Pluto, which is a solid, rocky planet again, with the moon, with five moons now we've discovered. Well, that messes up the pattern, because we can come up with an idea. Oh, okay, all this gas and dust is swirling around right here, and, and the heavier elements kind of sunk in closer to the sun, and it formed the solid, rocky planets, and then all the gas stuff that was blown out this sort way of stayed out this way in the outer reaches of the solar system, that formed the, uh, the giant gas planets, or whatever. But there's Pluto. Pluto is messing up the model. Pluto's got to go. You got to go. I think that's why the primary reason for Pluto being voted out. It messed up our model. Well, God wasn't through. God created our solar system in a way that would make us say, wow. We're looking at all the planets going around the sun like this. If we're on the north pole, north pole of the sun looking down, looking at the solar system, everything rotates in the same direction. Earth rotates that way. Venus rotates that way. Everyone rotates in the same direction. It's counterclockwise direction. And everybody's spinning as they're rotating around and they're spinning in the same direction, except Venus. Venus is funny. Venus is going around this way, but it's spinning backwards. Sun rises in the west and sets in the east on Venus. That's cool. That's God saying, deal with that. (laughs) <laughs> explain that one. Well, we don't have that. Well, something happened to Venus to make it spin backwards or whatever. We can come up with all these theories, but we don't have one that, that's just great for everybody to buy. Deal with that. Uranus. All the planets are spinning, and they're rotating kind of like um, with their North Pole up this way. Everybody, except Uranus, it's tipped on its side. Its North Pole is pointing at the sun, and it's spinning. Uranus is different. What, what happened to Uranus? Pluto, same way. Pluto's tipped this way, spinning on its side, and the other direction, spin. It's got a retro, what we call a retrograde spin. God is just in there laughing at us. <laughs> you explain? Now, he put that there, not for Moses, not for David, not for those in the 16th and 17th century. We got there. He knew well in advance that we would be going with our snubby noses, with our arrogant attitudes, going and exploring and looking, and he put that there a long time ago for us today, for us to know. This solar system, we've got got to explain how did this form? We thought we had a great idea how it could form without him. 1995, we discovered planets that are outside of our solar system. Not just our own, in our family solar system, but out there, lots of them, lots of them. We got our big heads, we thought, okay, we know how solar systems form without God. Without Pluto, we know how they form. And then we started discovering all these planets in other solar systems. Turn astronomy upside down. We thought all those heavy elements come um, and form rocky planets close to the sun and these giant gas planets further out from the sun. And everything that we're looking at, hundreds and hundreds of planets out there in the solar system where we've got Jupiters, planets like Jupiter, bigger than Jupiter, 10 times bigger than Jupiter, 20 times bigger than Jupiter, sitting closer to the sun than we are. And we gotta go, what? We've got sun, we've got planets that are way bigger than Jupiter, and they're so close to the sun. We're our closest to the sun, with our closest, it takes us 365 days to go around. That's how close we are. We've discovered these giant Jupiter sun, sorry, planets that are orbiting around their, excuse me, their sun in one day. A year on Earth is three hundred and sixty-five by days. These Jupiters are racing around. In one day, and they're closer to the sun than we are, way closer, way bigger, and they're gas giants. Deal with that. <laughs> and we have no idea, no clue how that's gonna happen. And we find them, we're finding them by the hundreds. We're looking at all these solar system patterns out there that we've discovered. No two are alike. No two, we've got systems there that are just boggling our minds, and what we thought we knew with our big heads. We are clueless today. And now we're trying to find an explanation. How did that happen without God? That's why God set it up that way. He knew we were going to be exploring, and I think that's fascinating. Day four, he said, I'm going to create these. I'm going to create these, these planets and these stars and these moons and, and all that, and I'm going to create them for us to see. I want, you to go, I want you to see something else, too, with these planets. Let's leave our solar system. If we go to the next slide, those are the planets in our solar system. The next slide. There we go. Look at this, what you'll see. Jupiter was the biggest planet in our solar system. That's Jupiter now. That's Jupiter. This is Wolf Star 359. This is our sun. And this is Sirius, the dog star, it's a sun also. You look at Orion, the constellation Orion, and the, um, one of his, next to his leg, his faithful dog, um, um, is, uh, well, that's the bright star next to Orion, and that's uh, Sirius. Look how much bigger it is than ours. Our star, our sun is called a dwarf, a yellow dwarf. It's small. There's Sirius. It's just, um, uh, several sizes larger than ours. But you can see how much bigger it is than Jupiter. You can't even see Earth, it's just a dot. It'd be just a dot there, whatever. Looking at this picture. That dot right there, that's Sirius. Compared to the next sun sizes, that's Sirius. This sun right here, compared to ours, there it is there. Compared to um, uh, Pollux, uh, uh, Arcturus, and Aldebaran. The sun's are even bigger, look how they make our sun look. Our sun is just a dot on this down here, this laser dot, this is Sirius, and these are bigger suns than ours. Thousands of our suns fitting in all, into Aldebaran. It's huge. That ain't the biggest. Next slide, if you can. If you look at there's Aldebaran. There's Aldebaran right there. And that's Aldebaran. Looking at Rigel, Rigel is a blue star. It's a blue supergiant. It's in the constellation Orion. When you look at it, it is blue. It doesn't look white like the other stars or the reddish, It's blue. you can see it bluish. Um, it's a blue supergiant. Oh, it's a blue giant, and that's Rigel, and here's uh, uh, Antares, and here's (laughs) Betelgeuse. Now on this scale, you can't see the speck called our sun. It's tiny compared to that. Now we're on the order of a million of our suns fitting inside of Betelgeuse. That's Betelgeuse. Betelgeuse isn't the biggest. So going from here to here, that's Betelgeuse. And we've got these other suns. That are even larger. This is the largest one we think we found. Millions of times larger than our sun. Absolutely incredible. And when we look at this, turn with me to, to Psalm eight. When we look at this, how can we not help but do what David did? David's the shepherd out in the field, and he grew up out in the field tending the uh, the, the flocks. And it's at night, and he's staring up at the stars and staring up at the heavens. And in verse eight, just I'm sorry, in uh, Psalm eight. David would say, "David would say, what comes to our minds? What comes to my mind when I'm looking at the size of this, this, uh, these, these planets, and and what's happening?" David will say, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth who have displayed your splendor above the heavens. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful, revengeful cease. Verse three, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained, what is man verse four that you take thought of him and the son of man that you that you care for him yet you have made him a little lower than the angels and and you crown him with glory and majesty you make him to rule over the works of your hands you have put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field Verse 8, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the seas. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. David is looking up going, wow, and he didn't know what we know. And we look and we go, how insignificant we look when we look at the scale of this, this universe. And we have to ask, Lord, who am I? Who is mankind that you would even think about us? That a thought of you would even, a thought of us would even cross your mind. I told you about, I've shown you the sizes of objects in this universe that God has created. This universe itself is huge, is ginormous too. In the solar system, here on Earth, we measure things in miles. We measure distances in miles. How far is it from here to New York? Oh, about 3,000 miles. When we measure things in space, in our solar system, miles are too small. Because we start measuring in the millions and billions and billions and billions of miles. So we need a bigger marker, a bigger yardstick to measure distance in our solar system. So this is what we've done. We say the distance from the Earth to the sun, we're gonna call that one. That's our new ruler. So distance from the Earth to the sun is one. And when I look at a planet like Jupiter, Jupiter is five away from the sun, five Earth distances from the sun. When I look at Pluto, Pluto is 39.5 Earth distances from the sun. We're measuring now what we call astronomical units, AUs. It's how far the Earth is from the sun. That's our new meter stick in the solar system because billions and billions and billions of miles starts to just get too big. That's just in our solar system. To get an idea about how big the universe is, to get from here to the very next sun, There's nothing but empty space, cold, dark, empty space. We can't measure in AUs. We can't do that in Earth units. It would be too big. It would be like saying, how far is it from here to New York in centimeters? (laughs) Uh, That's just, that's billions and billions and billions. It's just way too small of a measurement. We need something bigger when we're talking about traveling in this universe or looking through this universe or or, uh, judging distances. So what we do is we say this, light. The speed of light is at 186,000 miles per second. The Earth is 25,000 miles around at the equator, 25,000 miles. Light travels 186,000 miles in one second. That's seven and a half times around the Earth in one second. We're gonna look at how far light travels in one year. If it travels 186,000 miles in one second, how far does it travel in one year? That's trillions and trillions, trillions of miles. We're gonna use that as our meter stick now. That's about six trillion miles. The next closest sun to us, here's here's us an empty, cold, empty, dark space, then the next closest sun, Alpha Centauri, is four of those, four of those light years, 4.3. If I'm traveling at the speed of light, fastest anything can travel, it's going to take me 4.3 years to get there. If there's someone there and we want to say hello to, hello, that hello's going to take four years to get there. A hello and a hello coming back to us. <laughs> <laughs> that would take, eight point, that's an 8.6 introduction, 8.6 year introduction, hello. That's how far, that's the next closest star to us. That's just in our galaxy, the next closest star. Well, our galaxy, to get across our galaxy, which estimate, about 200 billion suns. And the next closest one is that, is that far. But to get across our galaxy, if we want to get all the way across, and we were traveling at the speed of light, it would take about 100,000 years at the speed of light. That's how big our galaxy is, it's huge. We will never, never go to the next planet, the next solar system. We can't do that, we never will, ever. The physics says that. That's why all these sci-fi shows have to go way out of the physics to do it. We'll never do it, it's too far. Our galaxy will never leave it. And our galaxy is one of millions and millions of galaxies. Between us and the very next galaxy, the one that they have on the screen when they're playing the music and whatnot, that's the Andromeda galaxy with the large and small Magellanic clouds on it, that is the next closest spiral galaxy to us, closest galaxy. At the speed of light, once we leave our galaxy, once we leave our galaxy, 2.5 million years in empty, cold, dark space to get there. That's just the next galaxy. And there are millions and millions of them. Oh Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name not just this earth, but the whole universe. How are you even thinking about me and us on this planet? And notice how, what David said. He says, verse three, when I consider the heavens the work of your fingers, just his finger produced this, or just with his, with his word, it's, a, it's, it's incredible what he's done. His power and his majesty, that's what the heavens are declaring. So when the heavens scream back at us, when they're talking to us, to the scientists, they're saying God is, God is, and it's describing him, describing his his attributes. He is huge in terms of being more than this here. He's outside of this that he created because this wasn't always here. So he's outside of that. It doesn't make sense to keep asking how old is God? He's outside of time. He created time. That means he's outside of it. That's a question that doesn't make any sense. Well, that day, the, that fourth day, is just phenomenal to me. Him creating this, this, these stars and the moons. Notice how he says it in Genesis. Go back to Genesis. In Genesis, um, verse 16, chapter 1, verse 16, says he says, God made the, great, uh, the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars too. <laughs> Like it was an afterthought, right? Like, oh, and he made these things up here. They're huge and ginormous. He just made stars. Incredible, the God that we serve. And He wanted us to pause after day four and think about that. Look at that's absolutely incredible. Go to day five with me. Day five, I got five minutes, right? (laughs) Day five, then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse. And so he creates the birds um, and those things that, uh, uh, the birds that fly and and create, that filled to fill this expense. And then verse 21 God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with the waters and swarmed after their kind, and every winged bird after their kind, after its kind. And God saw that it was good and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Now listen, God is now creating those things that um, live in the waters. And it's not what evolution says. Evolution says life started in the water and then went to the land. God said, mm-mm, mm-mm, So you don't mess that up. I'm going to put trees on the land first. God creates the trees on day three. He, he, he puts the, the vegetation on the land. Day five, he's creating what's in the oceans. And man tries to say, we can figure out how he created, I mean, how life started without him. We think it started in the water. It has to start in water. There has to be something moving. Uh, I mean, there's got to be something that these chemical elements can move in, in order to get together and combine and form life. So in order for the biologists or the, um, the atheists or the evolutionists to believe, uh, to know that, um, that life started without God, they've got to figure out this mechanism for inside the water, how it happened. Let me tell you. I'm going to tell you and I'm going to let you listen to what they've got to say because they don't know how. It did. It it could possibly happen. Scientifically, it's impossible. I read you a quote last week. I'll read you another one. But here's the thing. I told you I was going to try to convince you that Jesus might have been a lefty. Let me tell you why I say that. (laughs) (laughs) We know that the building blocks of nature are called amino acids. They build up and they make proteins and enzymes that every living Thing needs. Plant life, animal life, doesn't matter. They all are, um, are built up off of amino acids. We put amino acids together, and those amino acids form proteins. And those proteins form and they do everything in the body. They're enzymes, they start reactions, they stop reactions, they keep things going. They, they're responsible for everything. They're the workhorses in the body, they're the machines that do everything. Insulin, I told you, is a protein. And that's for regulating sugar and sugar issues you know, in the body, that's a protein. Proteins are built from these amino acids. The evolutionist has to explain how from non-living just chemicals, how amino acids could form, first of all, and then how those amino acids can get together and form proteins. Well, the Stanley Miller experiment I talked to, told you about last week that showed us a way that maybe some amino acids can form. Stanley Miller took this atmosphere that he thought was the early atmosphere. We talked about that last week. Oxygen, no oxygen. No, there had to be oxygen. No, there can't be oxygen. No, They're right, uh, fighting over that still. He created this atmosphere, and he did this um, experiment that went for a week, and he just found at the bottom of his flask amino acids. And that was hailed in 1957 as the experiment that proved that life could happen by itself. Awful, awful experiment, let me tell you why. Because there were amino acids that formed at the bottom of this apparatus that he had. There were amino acids, those building blocks to nature. But amino acids in nature come in two kinds, right-handed amino acids and left-handed amino acids. Both, right and left, in living systems, Right-handed amino acids are poisonous to living systems. All of life, plant and animal, just uses left-handed amino acids. That's all. What Stanley Miller created in 1957 in that flask were poisonous right-handed amino acids and left-handed amino acids that he needed to use so he can build up some proteins or see if proteins could be built. It's called a racemic mixture a mix, it didn't have just all of one or the other. The right handed like to hook up with the left handed Easily, they like to do that. All it takes is one right-handed amino acid to hook up with the left-handed amino acid, and it's no good. He's got both in there, and that drives them crazy. How do we do that then? How do we get just pure left-handed amino acids? Since 1957, we've been trying, and trying, and trying. And guess what we've come up with? Absolutely nothing. We don't have a clue, but their answer is, we know it had to happen though, because life happened. It just happened. And so, okay, putting that aside, now let's go to Darwin and talk about life. No, we let him get away with that. And he said, no, 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 you can't even, it's what Pastor Michael said the other day, God telling the man, no, 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 you can't use my dirt to build. You gotta come with your own dirt. You gotta make your own dirt. We are sitting there saying, uh, we can't let them move on. We've got to say, no, 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 no. You've got to tell us how it could still happen just that way. That experiment is in your text, or in the textbooks today still. Still. And that's God telling us after experiment, after experiment, after experiment, no, nope. no, absolutely no. You cannot have life without me. I'm the author of life. We cannot. Let me read you a quote. All right. So a lot of evolutionists are saying we're quoting them and quoting them out of context and and all this good stuff. Let me read you a quote, a couple of quotes, and then I'm going to try to close it down, Pastor. Give me... I'm not going to say it, all right. 1933. This is 1933. The hypothesis, quote, the hypothesis that life has developed from inorganic matter is at present still an article of faith, end quote. That's 1933, that's J.W.N. Sullivan in the um, Limitations of Science, 1933, page 95. We'll talk about those. You can look up that stuff later. That was 1933. Well, maybe just in 1933, we didn't have it. We didn't know and we weren't sure or whatever. 50 years later, 1980s, 1580s, here's what we got. Um, more than 30 years of experimentation, this is in 1988, more than 30 years of experimentation on the origin of life in the fields of chemistry or chemical and molecular evolution have led to a better perception of the immensity of the problem of the origin of life on Earth rather than to its solution. At present, all discussions on principle theories and experiments in the field either end in stalemate or in a confession of ignorance. It appears that the field has now reached a stage of stalemate, a stage in which hypothetical arguments often dominate over facts based on experimentation and observations. That's Professor um, Klaus Dose. Both of those quotes are from, I mean, atheists, non-believers, and they're just telling it like it is. An honest man, quote, an honest man armed with all the knowledge available to us now could only state that in some sense the origin of life appears at the moment to be almost a miracle, so many are the conditions which would have which would have to have had to been satisfied to get it going. That's Francis Crick in 1981, the origi- the discoverer of the DNA molecule. He knew in the 80s. He knew back then, impossible, impossible, impossible. Well, maybe we've learned something since then. Maybe that's just too old. That was too far ago, too long ago. No, 2007, 2007, Harvard chemist. George Whitesides, he was given the Priestly Medal. The Priestley Medal is the highest award of the American Chemical Society. Um, during his speech, this is what he said. The origin of life. This problem is one of the big ones in science. It begins to place life and us in the universe. Most chemists believe, as I do, that life emerged spontaneously from mixtures of molecules in the prebiotic earth. How? I have no idea, end quote. That was at his acceptance speech for the award that he just got. (laughs) For being very smart chemically. Knowing knowing, knowing the chemical stuff. Now listen, I told you last week I want you to know. I want you to know that they know. That you now know that they don't know. What they say they know. (laughs) You gotta know that. So they're printing in the textbooks evolution is a fact. And then they're printing this. And they're saying this in their science journals all over the place. They know it is not a fact, and they know it's not true, but they're gonna indoctrinate you and me and, and the kids and everyone else knowing that. Evolution is not, it cannot happen. God has put and designed man so that we know this is impossible. I was holding my goddaughter last night. She was just a week old last night. Felt like a snowflake in my hands, in my arms. Beautiful, Mm -hmm. delicate. Here's the end all for evolution. Here's the end all for not taking Genesis 1 literally. If we give up Genesis 1, I must tell my goddaughter that she means nothing. That her life is meaningless and that she has no purpose in this life, and that she was just an accident. Not meaning anything. That's what the atheist has to think through, and many of them have not. They've not thought through what being an atheist means, and many Christians haven't thought through what giving up Genesis 1 means. We just give it up, we allegorize it, we make it a myth, and we, make it a, we just give it up so easily. If Genesis 1 is not true, there is no God. If Genesis 1 is not true, then the next 49 chapters mean nothing. And the next 65 books mean absolutely nothing. It cannot be an allegory. It cannot be just a myth or a tale or or something. Genesis 1 tells us where we came from. It gives me my purpose. Verse 25 is going to say, and God said, let us make man in our image. And that's where pastor's going to pick it up next week. That's the crown of creation. It's going to tell us that we are special, that we have purpose. There is meaning in our life. And without God, if there is no God, that's the only conclusion. You mean nothing. And there's no reason why I should be able to say, I care for you. There's no reason for me to say to my wife, I love you. There's no reason for me to not do what I want to do, kill you and take what I want. Life is meaningless without a creator. And Christians cannot give up Genesis one so easily because that's what it means if we do. There is no way that I can say this is right and this is wrong if Genesis one is not true. Morals are out the window. Morals are gone. There's no right or wrong. I can't say Hitler or Stalin or Idi Amin or Papa Doc or any of those crazy rulers were wrong. I can't say love is good and love is right. There's a journal in the American uh, Association, American Psychological Association or something like that in the 80s. There was an article by these psychologists and it was titled something like um, The Evolution of Rape. And it talked about rape as just a natural, evolutionary plan or thing or whatever. You see, that's what you're left with if there is no creator. If there are no moral absolutes, you're left with that nonsense where life is not important. Where there are people who think they're better than someone else. Men thinking they're better than women, so that whole ideology rolls and, and, and causes the strife that it does. Kids being told, you mean absolutely nothing, and life is meaningless, but I hope you do well. We're sending them a mixed mi- a message. You're an accident. No purpose, no meaning. But then we want to stroke them and wish them love and, and try to help them and try to, well, why? That's a mixed message. Evolution is true, God is not here, God didn't do it, then that's all we're left with, confusion, utter chaos. We cannot give up Genesis chapter one. It tells us who we are and it gives us our purpose and it gives us meaning in life. I can say to my wife, I love you and it means something now. I can say to you, I love you because it means something now. And here's the ultimate. Colossians one says, Christ Christ is the creator of all. He created all. He he created all, and it was all done for Him by Him. The ultimate of Genesis 1 is setting up what is to come. That's why we can't give it up. Genesis 1 is going to set up the rest. The rest of it is this there's some hard times coming, there's some crazy things coming. You need to know me. That's why he laid it out like that. You need to know who I am. You need to know that I'm larger than any problem you're gonna face. Look at this universe. I'm bigger than that. I can do more. I can do more than you think or imagine I can do. I can make your life more full than you can imagine it being. This is who I am and I want you to know me. That's what Genesis is doing, has done. God wants to know, wants you to know how much you are loved by his son. His plan was to redeem you from the very beginning. I think when he says, I mentioned this last week, uh, from the foundation of the earth, my name has been written in the Lamb's book of life. He thought about me way back when. I feel loved, my future is assured because of this great God that I serve. And you do too, you should feel assured too. We cannot give up Genesis 1. It sets the stage for the rest of the book and the rest of history. Amen? Amen. 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 Lord, we bless you. We thank you. We we pray that you are are glorified, Lord, in all that we do and all that we say. This world is dark, Lord, and it's filled with men and women who wish to get rid of you, Lord God, but they can't. Everywhere is screaming, the creator is here. And that the creator is alive and that the creator is, uh, is, is uh, active and moving and everything is proclaiming your glory. We bless you, Lord. We want to be those who proclaim your glory as well. Thank you for allowing us to participate in this plan that you've laid out. Lord, we don't understand everything and we don't have to. I don't have to, Lord. All I've got to know is that you know You said, you know the plans that you have for me. Lord, as long as you know, I'm good. I don't need to know. Lord, teach me how to take one step at a time, step by step, faith by one, faith step after the next one. Lord God, thank you, thank you for for waiting for me, for waiting to come for me. Thank you, Lord God, for making me and us, your body, special. Thank you, Lord, for loving us first before we even loved you. Thank you for choosing us before we even chose you. Lord, help us to be who you would have us to be in this world, the witnesses that you would have us to be. We love you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you.